What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 83rd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Happy belated birthday, Matt. Thank you. Yes, uh, my 32nd birthday, halfway to Nintendo 64, I am, um, was yesterday. I had a good day. Um, thank you for the birthday wishes, everyone. Um, and now, uh, you know, we're in post Sundance and we're getting right back to it. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to say other than that. <laughs> Fair. Uh, joining us today, thanks, Eric. Um, no problem. Uh, joining us today, a very special guest. You can catch him each and every week on the movie podcast. He is one of the co-hosts, Daniel Baptista. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you guys uh, for having me. It's an honor to to be here on a podcast that also has movie podcast in its name. Yes, exactly. An honor. An <laughs> honor. <laughs> it's an honor. Um, something we've wanted to do for a while. I joined you, um, for, uh, a review of, uh, the last of us part two, didn't I? Yeah, we did our yeah. spoiler cast, which yeah. feels like years like, ago at this point. Doesn't it? Like it really, really feels like it was seven years ago. And it's something we talked about video games on that podcast, but we've wanted to kind of collab and obviously talk about movies. As you said, we both have movie podcasts in the title. Great SEO. We're great minds think alike. Keeping it top of mind, um, you know? Yeah, Pure exactly. Synergy. Um, today you're joining us cause we're going to be talking all about the 2021 Sundance film festival. Uh, Eric and I and Daniel all covered the festival. Uh, Eric and I for obviously untitled and, and Daniel for over at the movie podcast. Uh, we all have our individual reviews, which you can check out on untitled movie reviews for us. We have all of our coverage for each and every movie that we reviewed daniel over on the movie podcast uh, you can check out their feed um podcast services everywhere for all of their sundance coverage but today we kind of wanted to bring daniel in and talk about you know the festival in general how we felt about you know the complete lineup what our favorite films are what was some of the worst stuff we saw uh might get some perspective from eric and daniel on movies that they saw that uh, i didn't see or vice versa uh so we'll do that and then we'll also talk about you know the big game spots that aired this past weekend as well as some other news but um please go check out untitled movie reviews untitled movie conversations uh you know the whole spiel but uh daniel how you been man like uh we we talk regularly but um obviously we haven't done any official content together since uh that last of us part two spoiler cast but um how you been in general i know it's the kind of everyone gives the same answer as well as you can be but i want to how you doing as well as i can be no 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 <laughs> honestly i've been uh it's it's been good i mean it's been Sundance was a nice way to start off the year, uh, especially kind of leaving December behind and hopefully having a better outlook on the rest of the year. But um, it was just nice having movies to look forward to, which I feel like it's been so long since I've, I've had that feeling. Um, but yeah, no, it's been good. I've, I've been, luck, been lucky to have WandaVision every week, too. So yeah. I feel like mentally, it's just been helping me to have something to look forward to every week um, to keep me entertained. So. Uh, and hopefully it's going to continue throughout the year. The MCU is going to feed us this year with, no, with content, whether we like it or not. But it's it's going to it's going to be a good year, hopefully. I feel that. And uh, that, I mean, before we get into Sundance stuff, we can do a jump off point there. I should plug that I did um, a uh a watch party, um, like a watch uh, review with our friends over at Geek Centric, which you guys can go check out right now for episode five of WandaVision. I did an hour long chat with the boys over there, um, which was a blast. And um, I'm just, I'm obsessed. I started an MCU rewatch. I was telling yep. you guys um, off air, uh, which I do now. It feels like every single year, even though it's 20 some movies. And it's just like that comfort food that, um, 
that comfort watch that I I've seen it so many times now that I either don't have to pay full attention to it, or I can now skip the ones that I don't even want to watch like incredible Hulk or, um, or Thor to dark world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Even though now with Darcy in, um, right. It it doesn't feel like it's super necessary. You know who that character is. You can just skip that one, but, um, really enjoyed the last episode and we haven't talked about it, Eric, either since we did the review of the first three episodes, but you're finally caught up now too. And you, you said you even rewatched episode five, which shocked me where i'm like eric marchin went back and like rewatched a marvel thing and you said it's like one of your favorite things in the whole mcu right yeah it really is starting to to get to that point and i just want to reiterate that uh you know the, the podcast that you're on uh, geek centric was fantastic to listen to and you're all a bunch of fucking nerds yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but in the best possible way and like it just reminded me like again you know we look at the MCU, you know, some people look at the MCU in terms of films critics and are thinking like, okay, well this is, you know, below me. But the way that you were talking about it was like any, you know, astute film critic talking about, you know, Fellini or Brisson or something like that. No, it was truly (laughs) intricate. And like the stuff that you were talking about with the commercials specifically, I hadn't even really thought about too much. So it's a really great podcast to listen to and, and, and you and Nate and everybody were, were fantastic. So um, yeah. And, and again, just going back to WandaVision, like it is a lot of fun, but it actually is, you know, a televisual experience that works in the medium of television, you know, instead of film. And I think that's why I, I'm kind of drawn to it. And again, a lot of the the sitcom references, especially in the 80s stuff with, you know, family ties uh, specifically, I, I really, really love those detailed touches. Yeah, we won't spoil the newest episode here just in case anyone hasn't watched it yet. But if you haven't, um, what do Han you do? Han Solo dies. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's fantastic. I agree with you that like, I, 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 should have known that the MCU should have translated really, really well to television, but I almost underestimated it. And then now seeing this, I'm like, if this is this the quality we get on a week to week basis, and if they do three to four shows a year, you're just going to have a new thing from the MCU every week. And that, I mean, we don't know. It could be too much. Um, we might get overwhelmed with it. But if everything feels different enough, which, um, but still interconnected, it's going to be like fucking awesome. If we get a movie every three or four months and we get a show on a week to week basis with like small breaks in between. Like, I mean, let's get, we can talk about this before we get into Sundance. They released the trailer for or a second trailer for um, Falcon and the winter soldier during the quote unquote big game on the weekend, um, which does look more uh, like a traditional MCU movie probably spread out over, you know, six hours or something like that, six episodes. But I don't know what uh, Daniel uh, did. You, I'm assuming you watched the trailer and what did you think? Oh yeah, no, I definitely watched the trailer. Um, but yeah, just, just before I, I touch on the trailer, just something yeah, I please. said, like the fact that like that WandaVision works so well in the television format, like th- that episodic nature of it, um, and that's playing on the on the fact that it's a show too. I think that's what's so interesting. And like you and, and Eric both said, and I, wh- I again, I, I'm a big fan of the Mandalorian as well. But with, I think what's so interesting with WandaVision and what the MCU is doing right now with their television shows is that these shows are going to be affecting the grander MCU, where a show like the Mandalorian is very self-contained, right? But it's when you're looking at WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier these are characters that we've known through the films and now they're going to be expanded on and it's going to affect the larger universe, which I think it's really cool to see how that's going to play out. And especially in Falcon and the winter soldier, like it's 
two uh, characters that kind of were side characters throughout, you know, the Captain America films and the Avenger films. And now they're front and center and they're going to be kind of dealing with either, you know, the mantle of Captain America or just whatever else is going on in the MCU at that time. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's really fascinating to see just like the intricacy of the storytelling that Marvel and Kevin Feige and everybody um, are kind of working on at the Marvel studios. Yeah. And it just, um, it's something we haven't really seen in, you know, either medium, I feel like such an intricate kind of, you know, television. I, I maybe I'm wrong, Eric, and you can correct me, but something that's like how the big TV shows will affect movies and movies will affect TV shows and the cross of those things. And now we're getting to that point where you're like, what really is length? The only difference between some of these, you know, right. big TV shows and, and a movie or, um, I don't know, but like, I, I just, I, I mean, I obviously love the MCU and I think this is a fantastic next step for it. And to be like, so oh, intertwined with television shows that, you know, link up with movies and vice versa. I just, they'll need to figure out what qualifies for a movie versus a TV show. Because even then, like I saw that Falcon and winter soldier trailer and I'm like, Oh, this just, this looks like an MCU movie. It's so interesting that, you know, that's now just going to play out over five or six hours on, on, on TV. Yeah, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that is is kind of a little bit similar, or at least the idea that um, you know the series kind of connecting to a film uh, was the X Files. So after season five, yeah. the, the movie was released, and the events of the film kind of bled into the premiere of season six. And it's very odd or strange that a you know a, a series continues to go and and that ran for you know nine seasons the original series to go and and have a film in between that because usually the film ends the franchise or a film you know becomes a series you know like you think of like mash was a film first and then it became a series and people know the series more than they do the robert altman film um so that's probably maybe the closest thing i can think of off the top of my head in terms of like you know an ongoing series and they were going to try to do that with uh the dark tower but that didn't really seem to go quite right well, so and i guess there's stuff like cobra kai but cobra kai is just a sequel series right it's not like it's going or a legacy to- sequel or yeah, whatever you want to exactly yeah. yeah yeah and then um so going back to Falcon and, and Winter Soldier, I mean, uh, Daniel, I'll go back to you. Like, um, are you as stoked for that as you are for WandaVision or or what's your thoughts? on? It's interesting because, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first um, MCU show we were getting it was supposed to like launch last August. Yeah. Um, so that was always the one that was top of mind. But as soon as they announced that WandaVision was going to be like, you know, incorporating the sitcoms. I'm like, okay, it sounds, it sounds cool in nature, but like, how is this going to really play out? And then when we got those first three episodes, I was like, holy shit, this is my jam right now. Like, especially like as like somebody to speak for myself who grew up on like TV land and watching those sitcom reruns all the time. And um, seeing that kind of translated into MCU with characters that you, you, you know, and you like, but like Wanda and vision really haven't been given a spotlight before and now i think through wandavision it's so interesting to see them become like top tier characters almost now where people are going to care about them going forward because of the events of this show um and now falcon with falcon and the winter soldier i'm hoping um that's going to be the same case for like bucky and for sam like obviously they're popular characters but i'm hoping the show just takes them to the next level and and gives a spotlight to a character like daniel uh, uh Brule's character with zemo right like him coming back from civil war 
I'm like, it's so cool to see a character that we've seen before, someone who's taken on Avengers before, now being used in this um, in this format. It, it really does feel like a comic series, right, at this point. Because they're able yeah. to tell, like, these, these limited-run series almost, and like really feel like they're like this is a comic book series now then there's the big event films which will kind of bring everyone together but the shows are really turning into those comic book issues yeah no i feel that and like for me again falcon probably one of my the least interesting characters to me in all of mcu so sure. I, I i feel weird uh, and even bucky to an extent like i liked him as winter soldier as the you know the villain in the in in cap two and I, i've liked his progression great hair, great hair. Uh, great yeah. hair. Yeah. and then uh but I, I, again, you you made a great point, Daniel, about like uh, WandaVision and now Falcon and Winter Soldier taking these, you know, secondary kind of Marvel characters and putting them in the spotlight, which I think works perfectly for TV. And and it gave me Fast and Furious vibes, which I oh for sure love, um, in that trailer. And um, that was I, like a Hobbs and Shaw trailer. That we exact, got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I'm all in for that. Like if it's just going to be like a you know a mix of, you know, that kind of buddy cop kind of, uh, lethal weapon style. Lethal white. Yeah, exactly. Eric. And then like, um, with some great action, like I like seeing Peggy Carter just kick some ass in, in that, like you're using these characters that never got their, not, they got their due. Like they all had great moments in the films, but they were always the supporting characters. So it's kind of cool if you give them great, you know, uh, TV people or great directors and writers and you throw them in and put the spotlight on them and then integrate some of that stuff from the movies. And it's just like, it's just so cool. I didn't think I would be excited for a Falcon and the winter soldier series, but then you say, Oh, Wyatt Russell is going to be the new captain America. That's probably going to be a, either a bad guy or just a piece of shit or, um, (laughs) I'm like I'm all in on that, and there's like they they they're not showing him. I'm like, give me Wyatt Russell, <laughs> let um, me see his face. Yeah, and uh, so and Eric, for you, because I'm curious to get your thoughts on the trailer because this does, I mean, look a little bit more like a traditional Marvel movie, which I know you still enjoy, but you you prefer when they get a little bit weirder or when they you know try something different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I still am you know the my favorite Marvel movie is Iron Man three, because it feels more like a Shane black film than it does a Marvel movie. And it still has sort of the working parts of a Marvel film, but it also has the the voice and the dialogue that a lot of people have come, you know, to love when it, when they think of Shane black movies, you know, whether Definitely, it be yeah. last action hero or lethal weapon, or, you know, even more recently with the, uh, misfire that was the, the, the predator. Um, oh boy. <clears throat> But it is interesting looking at that trailer, that 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 spot. I do agree with with both of you where it is or it feels more like you know a Marvel based series, and it's interesting to think the idea that okay, this was going to be the the first sort of series to kick things off, and then they might have gotten a little bit weirder with WandaVision when they moved on. And obviously, you know, with the pandemic, things have changed, and the chronology has changed even with you know the delay of of, of films. Um, so having WandaVision first, it feels kind of more riskier to go with something like WandaVision, but if it's paying off the way it is, which a lot of people, you know, at least, you know, in in the film world or, you know, movies in in general are really digging it. This seems almost like a sort of a, something that's going to be a nice balance between WandaVision and Loki, which I think 
I'm now even more curious to see what Loki is going to bring to the table. And I'm not the biggest Tom Hiddleston fan. And I'm I'm curious just to see how that is going to play out because like, again, like you're seeing stuff with, you know, the Owen Wilson character specifically and how, you know, the agency itself is going to the time cop in- going after him. Yeah. 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 Like, is this going to be a Jean-Claude Van Damme esque time cop storyline? <laughs> sure. Um, so that is going to be fascinating to me, but, but the series in between with, with, you know, Falcon and the winter soldier, it, it does look a little bit more familiar overall, which isn't necessarily sure. a bad thing. It like looks if like they winter can, soldier too. Yeah. If they can play up some of the buddy moments and actually create like interesting character beats within, you know, the context of the action and, you know, what we uh, basically have come to know with the series, I'm fine with that. I'm, I I think that'll that'll work. And I, I do like Anthony Mackie out, outside of the Marvel stuff when he's in like supporting roles like the Hurt Locker or Half Nelson, anything that starts with H. Um, but it's weird because like he's a guy that I like having interviewed him, he he feels like he's trying a little too hard at times. So maybe this will give him a chance to just be a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a, that's so true. Yeah, I was gonna say like that's uh, that's so true. And I, and I think too, like just just timing wise, having Wandavision after having not having any MCU content for a year, um, it's nice to start weird. I think you know Marvel's twenty three films deep right now, and they're they're not slowing down. So you need a you need to have stuff that's going to keep it fresh, keep it interesting, keep you wanting to watch. And maybe if you know maybe if we got Falcon and the Winter Soldier so close to Black Widow, which is also going to look like it's going to be like a an action spy thriller, like maybe it would have just the palettes would have been too similar. So it's nice to have that breakup. But we might actually have that happen, right? Because this yeah. might, like, <laughs> well, to, I doubt it based on everything. I mean, again, I don't think we're all going to be vaccinated and theaters will be open by May, but um, I, oh, have no no. I, I have no idea what they're going to then do again or if they'll just punt everything again. But then because you have such a connected- Well, the continuity universe, is going to be a That's problem what I then. mean. Yeah. Right, right. That's why I think eventually you got to go, well, do we just put this out? Because like we, like, again, if we keep, pushing this stuff and we're putting out these disney plus shows yeah. everything's connected it's going to start got a story to tell <laughs> yeah so like do you end up doing a premiere access thing which i i still could see happening and i don't think it's going to be the regular but i think they're going to be like listen we want to put this in theaters and it will be in certain places internationally but we still need to it's almost television at this point even theatrical television because we need it to slot into a certain point or else we're going to actually have to start delaying some Disney plus shows that might tie into it and like, and things like that. So it'll be really interesting. And then having, you know, March with Falcon and winter soldier leading right into, uh, you know, black widow in may, if it comes out in may, I could still see a Disney plus, uh, premiere thing like they're doing with Maya, but, um, I don't know. I, or they'll just keep punting everything, which it seems like most studios are doing. So seems seems uh, the trend right now. So because we know WandaVision already leads into Doctor Strange uh, into the multiverse, right? Multiverse um, right. of madness, not yeah. multiverse of madness. Yeah. Um, but it almost feels like Black Widow, the movie itself, is is weirdly like kind of tying up you know, loose ends and not necessarily connected, maybe with the exception of uh, a stinger or setting up Florence Pugh to kind of go on uh, after, you know, this film, this was more like, 
you know, wrapping up Johansson's character once and for all, where I feel like Loki might also be a series that actually has connective tissue to some of the other films potentially uh, in, in the franchise. And, and again, I mean, going back to what Daniel said, it's, it's really smart of Kevin Feige to, you know, make these shows kind of connected because it, it makes it appointment viewing for not only fans of you know, the film franchise that they, they need to watch this to kind of be completist, but it even kind of gives a reason for, you know, like just like fans of these kind of movies in general, not just like the diehard fans to watch this or to get interested in, you know, these sort of mini series series events that don't have to necessarily continue on after, you know, uh, a season run. Right. And you hope that these, like, again, I think WandaVision could stand out on its own, but you'll be missing a lot of the context and like certain reveals. And even to an extent that last episode, if you're not familiar with things even outside of this franchise, um, you might be confused at certain things. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm psyched and I hope everything, you know, goes according to plan. But I like like Daniel put it very very well earlier in the show that it's just nice to have something to look forward to every week right like especially in these times where we can't go to the theaters i feel like we are kind of getting that theatrical experience with these mcu shows at home and i think it's the best use of it it's not just a one and done sit down for two and a half hours and see a movie like it's perfect to get you know 30 to 40 minutes every week and have that little slice and something to look forward to um and i think it's the perfect time for this stuff to be coming out and um i think it's just lightning in a bottle with you know how mandalorian season two did and then leading into now wandavision i think disney is really on a roll and then with disney plus and then in canada we have disney Disney star launching um, in a few weeks, which is kind of interesting, especially for our show, because we're one of the only places, you know, um, the only place in North America, I believe. And then a lot of places in Europe are getting it as well. And um, I mean, it's all library content Um, for those of you that aren't familiar on February 23rd, I believe um, Disney star is launching on Disney plus in Canada, which means we will be getting uh, a lot of FX and Fox content, a ton of new movies, R rated content, adult, not adult as in like a sexy way, but like (laughs) adult, adult content, uh, as well as shame. uh, It almost (laughs) feels like diet Hulu or Hulu zero or something really. Cause we don't have access to Hulu here in Canada. So, um, the price of Disney Plus will be going up, but I keep seeing like promoted ads on social being like, if you sign up before February 23rd, you can get a whole year still for like the 80 bucks or whatever it is. So uh, I'm pumped for that to launch too, just to have, you know, more, you know, content at our figure and tips. I, it's not, we're not going to get any original content from it. I don't think maybe some of the Hulu originals. Um, it'd be interesting to see if some of that stuff trickles over to Disney star here. But um, I think that's, what's most intriguing to me, but just having, you know, all that library content at your fingertips is pretty dope. Now, will any of it be censored though? That's going to be the interesting thing because even though it is, you know, geared towards, a more mature audience. I mean, there has been criticism and obviously um, debate as to how much Disney is allowed to censor with the content that they have on Disney plus now, obviously with, you know, splash being the one thing that comes up quite a bit where they kind of blurred out certain scenes. Um, (laughs) So that will be interesting or even just like the aspect ratio of the Simpsons like that, like that as well is kind of an interesting conversation to have in, in terms of what Disney does to its, you know, catalog material or what it what it can get away with yeah i think that 
because they're putting like a it, it is all content that's you know f- geared towards you know an adult audience that i think because they're putting like passcodes on it and stuff like that i think like we'll get that borat naked fight scene and it'll you'll be able to watch it on <laughs> disney plus which is very yeah. weird but we're all of steve um, mcqueen's shame you know yeah exactly which is just it's strange to think that oh you can go watch 101 dalmatians and then two clicks later watch shame um it's just like it's it's strange but i mean i'm i'm here for it and and i think they shouldn't censor anything because of those you know parental kind of locks that they'll put on it but we'll have to see when the when the content drops daniel are you excited for star at all yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited. Oh god, I'm just I'm just thinking of like Disney Shame now. It's just <laughs> Michael yeah. Fassbender, but it's just a giant Mickey Mouse head. They're yeah. censoring everything. Um, no, no, I'm I'm excited for it. I, it's nice to. Ha- I, I need think a, you know, I mean, might need Dumbo's face. Oh to god, or Goofy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I you know I think you know Disney's had a, an insane year with how much um, Disney Plus subscriptions have grown. I think they're they're around ninety million now. But I think if they want to chase Netflix, which who just hit 200 million, you need to have content that's going to be there and that's going to be attractive for everybody. Um, And it's easy to see Disney Plus as like the kid streaming service, but there's a pretty deep bench of content already on there. And when you add Star now, which is pretty much opening it up for, you know, all of 20th Century Studios, um, the Hulu contents. Uh, eventually FX. I don't know if we're going to get FX here in Canada because I know FX has like a deal with Rogers here. Yeah, but... I don't know if that ex- expired yet or not. Right. But... So like eventually we'll we'll most likely get the FX content, but it's that it's going to be a huge addition of of movies and shows available on Disney Plus, and I think that's going only going to be good for them in the long run. Oh, totally. And I think it's their end game really in the U.S. as well, right? Like I feel like Hulu the time has to be kind of running out to the point where they might just combo it, or maybe instead of star, it's a Hulu channel on Disney plus, but like, I can't, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but like it, I can't see them having those dueling services and owning both of them instead of just building up one and focusing all their efforts into one, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, a rebrand isn't out of the, out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, CBS All Access is getting rebranded to Paramount Plus next year. So right, yeah. Are knows? we getting that here or no? Uh, I, I know we have CBS All Access here, but I think there's a lot of region locked content as well. So I don't, I don't know if we'll be getting it. It's so messy. Like that's what I mean. Like with, it is because I'm assuming they would like to do this on Disney Plus in the U.S., but there's probably all these Fox deals from when they inherited it that they don't have access to the majority of that content in the on streaming services in the U S which is why they can't. But um, yeah, I agree with you. Like you, you can see with the office and, and friends and different things like that being the top thing on streaming services that you still, that library content is valuable and why people, you know, stick around in between those big original shows that you have. Right. Like, I think that's what Netflix like is, I mean, they put out a, a, a 87 original things every week to the point where I don't even know what's coming out. Um, but and a lot of the good stuff gets buried. I mean, Dick Johnson yeah. is dead is a perfect example for Netflix where it's like they did barely any advertising for it. And, you know, it's release was just, it, 
you know you have to really dig for it and then you know to i i think also it's important to to talk about like you know being in the pandemic and and you know people are looking for content that is nostalgic or something that they are comforted by so to have you know the friends or seinfeld or something like that that they've seen over and over again or you know you talking about watching you know marvel movies again like those things are you know, a comfort to have and, and knowing that they're just a click away. So if Disney expands that, you know, library with stuff that they have, that's, you know, on the, the Fox side of things, that's going to sort of only help them increase, um, you know, their memberships, but also just, you know, be more competitive against, you know, Netflix and Amazon studios and, and Amazon prime and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we get into Sundance stuff, we can cover, uh, a few more things before we get into the topic of the show, but um, any other trailers from Sunday that we, uh, I, there was a new F nine trailer F nine colon the fast saga that <laughs> God, God bless them for their weird naming convention. Uh, didn't get it. We got a little bit more footage. There was obviously that behind the scenes of that ridiculous shot of the car going sideways and, and through the, uh, the building into a truck and stuff like that. But um, God, I just, I, I'm so bummed that we missed out on so much stuff last year and we just have to keep waiting. Cause like I, I could use some dumb fast and furious into my brain right now. Well, there's M night Shyamalan <laughs> old as well. Oh, old. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I thought old looked, I mean, I'm all, we've talked about this a lot, Eric and Daniel, I'm curious about your thoughts on M night because like, he's one of those guys that I just always cheer for, even though he's let me down time and time again. But like, I just, I can't help but going, you know what? You gave us the bangers that were like six cents and signs, um, back to back and even, um, uh, unbreakable. And, and he had that run there where, you know, people were calling him the next Spielberg. And, um, ever since then I was like, you know what, you let us down with a string of movies and they kept getting worse and worse and worse. It wasn't but, happening for um, him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, I hope this is more his, you know, OG stuff and less happening, but you never know with this guy. But like, I'm intrigued by old and I really like the cast. I think the trailer, like honestly, that that Super Bowl spot, I think if you if if they didn't make any more trailers for this film, I don't think you need any more because I think just the concept alone, I mean, it's an interesting concept. And I think that's uh, a, a, something that happens a lot with Shyamalan. It's like, here's a really interesting concept, but can we ex- make this a full film? But this this that teaser was actually really cool. And I, I've watched it a few times. I'm like, well, OK, let me just try and wrap my head around what's happening right now, especially that shot of like the girl on the beach who's like a kid one frame and then it goes back and she's a bit older and she's like pregnant now. Like there's so much like to unpack um, from that teaser that um, I'm like, okay, this looks interesting. Um, But like as an overall fan, like, like same films as you guys, like, you know, it's unbreakable with, um, uh, my God, I'm blanking out on the sign six cents, sign six cents. Like, like those films were films I watched all the time growing up and split like split. I really enjoy. And I think James McAvoy's performance is that is, is phenomenal. Um, and then to have it tie into unbreakable at the end, I was just like, Oh my God. Okay. Let's see what happens. And then we that got was a black. truly great moment. Like that was I remember not awesome. knowing that at all and how they kept that under wraps, I think is really, really cool. But then that led into 
Mr. Glass or whatever. Yeah. So because I heard I heard like the music and I'm like, hey, this sounds this sounds like Unbreakable. And then you see Bruce Willis sitting at the diner. I was just like, oh my God. Like it's such a it was such a cool moment to have that. No, I feel like nobody else in the theater knew what was going on because they're like, yeah, oh, why why is, yeah. why is Bruce Willis here now? Is this is this a diehard movie now? Um and then we got glass and I was just like, I wanted this to be good so bad. I Again, really wanted this to be good. Landing. Yeah, yeah. Didn't stick. But things like, I mean, he with visit, um, I think is actually surprisingly good. And um, so like, I hope that he kind of gets back to that, even if it's like something good, something bad, something good, something bad. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I always cheer for the guys. Yeah. So. I root for him too. Like, yeah, I root for the guy. Yeah. It's, it's very high concept and I know it's based on, um, I think it's a graphic novel that's called Sandcastle. Um, but it's also kind of interesting because like I'm not the biggest fan of Gil Garcia Brunel. I kind of find him a little bit banal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is interesting that they cast him in the lead because it does almost feel like it is a little bit on the nose with him having been one of the main stars of Why Tu Mama Tambien and and you know, the idea of that movie being, you know, about two buddies and you know sort of meeting up with this woman and wanting to go to this sort of uh, exoticized beach. And then in this, it's, you know, this couple and their children going to, you know, this, you know, beach in the middle of nowhere that's very isolated and, and sort of idyllic. And then all of a sudden it turns out to be, you know, a, a basically a Twilight Zone-esque horror uh, movie. And then on top of all that, you you know, you mentioned Daniel with um, Eliza Scanlon being, uh, you know, getting pregnant and, and, you know, on, on the beach and things like that. And I think like all of that could be very interesting, but at the same time, will it be able to sustain itself for an hour and a half, two hours, right. you know? For sure. For sure. Um, and then we got uh, Maya and the Last Dragon, which looks great. Is it, I mean, is it Maya or is it Raya? Oh, Raya. 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 I keep saying Raya. Maya. My bad. Thank you, guys. <laughs> um, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. Why do I have Maya on the brain? Um, Raya and the Last Dragon, which we should be seeing pretty soon, and we'll have a review out for that in a couple weeks. But um, uh, we have I have no news on that. But it looks great. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Disney premiere, so everyone will be able to watch it at home, even though it's going to be $30. So... A uh, little pricey, but we'll see if it's worth it. Like, uh, like Mulan, and I mean, it's interesting to see them try this again because I thought with something like Soul, they would have done the premiere route, but then they went the direct to Disney Plus. So it's just interesting seeing what they're choosing, you know, to charge people for and what to give people for, you know, their subscription price. But um, it must have done okay um, to try it again. But well, Disney can afford it though. Like even if. Mulan because we don't know the official numbers because they never released anything but even if it didn't make the money back that you know to recoup I mean Disney is still you know doing just fine with you know all the Marvel properties and things like that and they and they can you know take the time to delay things and wait until you know the theatrical experience is back because they have the money to do it where like you know a lot of these smaller companies even even bigger companies like paramount will end up selling off a lot of their content to streamers because they just can't afford it right now you, you know yeah, you saw that with trading, right? and yeah or or even more recently with uh the michael Stony. b Jordan, um, oh yeah that too without remorse the tom clancy adaptation so Which we have a release date for right uh yeah, in april yeah yeah or april okay yeah, yeah. it's um, interesting though that like what what's going off of what you said eric um i remember i think this was sometime last year that there was like an article out that said like paramount made 
as much money in 2020 selling their films as they did at the box office in 2019. So, I mean, it's exactly that. Like, I, I feel some studios are going to hold out because they could afford it, but other, other studios would be like, you know what? Let's just make the money and cut and run and get this going. We knew uh, Bond apparently too. You know, they were MGM was looking for six hundred million dollars to sell that. You that's know? ridiculous. Like, uh, I love so, I love James Bond, but like, no one's gonna pay. Even these places like Apple and 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 Netflix that have just piles and piles and piles and Amazon piles of cash, but they're just still like six hundred million dollars is a lot. too much money for one movie. If you were like getting multiple Bond movies, or like you know, some people have paid six hundred million dollars to buy an entire company, let alone one film to put on your streaming service. Right. Like, but then we saw that with Sony. Sony even got into that with um connected which is now um the, the Mitchell's Mitchell's versus the machines, the versus yeah. The machines yeah. yeah yeah which, which was the original name for it too then they changed it and then they changed it back very i like, very I like connected more but um that went to netflix right so um we are seeing you know these other studios that don't have their own streaming service i mean paramount i guess kind of does now um well, Sony as well with Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie as well, selling it off to uh, oh, right. TV Plus. So, yeah, yeah it, it almost feels like, okay, we can sell off like the mid-tier stuff or, or, or movies that aren't necessarily big franchises. Like, you know, Paramount was also offered to sell off something like Top Gun Maverick. And, you know, they know that they'll make money off of that or even, you know, A Quiet Place Part 2, which I'm sure there were offers, but they realize that those are, you know, money makers, And, you know, as soon as the theatrical experience is back or movie theaters open, they will be able to recoup the cost where something like the trial of the Chicago seven is kind of like that mid tier movie that, you know, they probably have to spend a lot of marketing money on the awards campaign and they just didn't really have it. And they were still buying stuff as well. I mean, they optioned the rights for, you know, the next scream movie and apparently that cost them quite a bit of money. Um, but yet they're still also selling stuff off. I mean, there's even that Chris Pratt movie that they're, you know, they're trying to sell off right now. So, right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how everything plays out. I know it's the same conversation over and over and over again, but it's just, that's the state of the industry right now. Right. Like, I mean, and, we don't have no idea where we'll be in like a couple of weeks, let alone a couple of months again. And I just, I get why we always have to put dates on these movies, but it just kind of sucks to think that you, Oh, you're so you're telling me there's a chance we might get this movie on this day. Right. Really, it's just like all of these things should just be taken off the calendar. But everyone I have to just, wait for Morbius until 2020 now. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, yeah, even that, like to an extent, is like. That when we talked about all the MCU stuff is like, and Spider-Man three and WandaVision even to an extent is like how much all that plays into even the Sony side of the spider verse. And like now that Morbius is technically coming out after Spider-Man three, although there might be some tie-ins to Spider-Man cause it was supposed to come out a year and a half before Spider-Man three, but now it's scheduled to come out after it. But then do we really think Spider-Man three is coming out in December? Probably not. Um, will will uh will it be like another uh golden globe for jared leto in morbius will we be marketing this as don't even fucking Gold- joke about this Daniel. <laughs> Eric, we're, pr- we're proud of you because i think critics choice snubbed him right yeah but i mean i have some criticisms with the critics choice this year i mean i i always criticize the the fact that we you know nominate like like 11 people, people. <laughs> in one category especially in a year when nobody is going to an award show. It's like, you don't need to nominate all these people. Yeah. There were good performance. Like Ben Affleck gave a great performance in the way back, but I mean, 
you know, like let's keep it at five, 10 for best picture if you really want to. And then the other thing that kind of bothered me this year that the Golden Globes did as well is that, you know, they nominated Minari for best international film. And it's just kind of like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's xenophobic and it's just like, come on, guys, we're better than this. Like, you yeah. know, we're supposed to be like the critics, you know, be critical right. of what we're nominating and pick things that we really want to go for. Um, so, like, that's just one of those things where it's just, it, it's perplexing and it's just like, oh, why i don't get it it's just it's just interesting seeing when you know when it when it popped up on the screen it's like minari best foreign film u.s i was like hold on a second <laughs> where <laughs> which country is a this? different language America. than english so <laughs> yeah it's so like, for only a part of the movie like uh, most of the movie is in english yeah it's, or it's uh, like pretty split right but yeah, yeah, some, very interesting. some weird producer named brad pitt worked on it yeah. for foreign language uh producer brad pitt ridiculous but um excited uh nonetheless we're getting into you know we had the we won't even we'll do that for another episode but yeah the globe nominations came out critics choice nominations came out um, sag sag came out so maybe we'll do that on the next show just talk about all of that stuff but let's get into it um a sundance 2021 uh recap like i mentioned please go check out if you want to hear our individual full reviews on any of the movies that we saw at sundance you can go check out untitled movie reviews for all of our sundance coverage or go check out daniel's coverage over at the movie podcast on podcast services everywhere they have a bunch of sundance reviews up as well um let's just get into it so guys what were your thoughts this is our all of our first sundance um obviously a very different experience um by sitting in our living rooms or our dens or our bedrooms or watching on our iPads or in bed or whatever. Um, Sundance in bed. Yeah. I mean, I did watch one movie in bed and it was just so weird. I was like, this is a lot of the midnight stuff. I was like, Oh, I might as well just lie in bed and watch this. And um, at midnight, even though I think I only tried to get through one midnight until I gave up on that. And I was like, I'll just watch them the next day. If I do it. Um, how did we Anyways. used to do midnight premieres at theaters? How did we used to I do know. that? I loved it. I do miss it. Like I loved the Thursday night at midnight. Like yeah. when it when it moved to seven o'clock, it was. It, I mean, I appreciate it because I'm getting older and I can't stay up as late. Even though I say that, and then every night I can't sleep because I had a cold brew at six p.m. and I'm up till <laughs> thirty in the morning. Um, but that being said, I do miss the excitement of having to wait to midnight, but I understand why studios and movie theaters were like, we don't have to do this. We can just show them at 7 PM. Yeah. Um, and then during festivals though, like TIFF, like I do love midnight madness. We had Peter Kaplowski on our conversations podcast. And like, there is something special about going to see a movie at midnight during TIFF, even though it's a pain in the ass to either get home or get to your hotel or, or, or wherever, or stay awake during the movie. But, um, this is now our second digital festival. I think all of us did see some stuff at TIFF this year as well. Um, just want to get overall thoughts of how the experience was from home. Uh, and then we can kind of talk about, you know, favorite movies, uh, or least favorite movies, kind of some stuff that we saw in general. And Daniel, get your thoughts on stuff um, because we haven't really talked to you. So Daniel, I'll start with you. Like, how did you feel the whole festival was? How many movies did you end up seeing? How did you feel the whole festival went? Uh, I'm going to count my movies in a second, but it's it's. I thought it went pretty seamless. I, I'm surprised, like even with TIFF, how you know the the change to streaming these films. I thought it would have involved a lot more um, technical prowess or just just something that would we would have had to do more on our end. But you know the fact that we were able to 
to use an app or to use the website and in, in airplay like it actually the 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 act itself of watching the films was pretty seamless and and I was happy for that and um that was that was awesome you know like I wish we had the uh, waiting rooms on the Apple TV app but I mean other than that like being able to watch the Q&A and watch the films without any struggle I'm like this this is working it it, it worked and that's I think the biggest thing for me I was just I just want to make sure it works um and it was great honestly I I ended up watching let me see here I watched 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 films at right. Sundance. So I don't think, I think you guys still killed it with movies. Do you guys, are you guys over 20 that you guys watched? So we have a nice even. You did 15, I did 20, Eric did 25. So. My but I goodness. also included um, Violation and, and Night of the Kings, which were TIFF movies yes, that were also playing so at Sundance. So. Asterisk on there. Yeah, so if you. If you yeah, so 18 for me if you don't count those two, but I am counting those two just because I like to get to a nice Oh, 100%. Um, so we have kind of the, the you know, small, medium, large, and supersized <laughs> of, the, of the festival because I don't think any of us went small. But um, yeah, I mean, I echo your thoughts, uh, Dan. Like, I, I really thought the festival was a very, very smooth experience. I mean, my one thing was like it sucked that international people couldn't download the apple tv app um mind you if you you know know how to navigate the apple store you could have gotten it in canada what are you um, saying man it's it's not an illegal thing but if you had a u.s apple account you could have downloaded the app and it worked fine here um but i do wish they just opened that up to you know everyone especially when there was a lot of international press and people coming and i i get why they didn't because if you weren't press you weren't supposed to have access to the festival. So I get why. Um, but I think just like TIFF, I felt like it was, they used, I think the same platform TIFF did. Um, the one thing I liked about this is that, you know, the filmmaker intros and the, and the things were all built right into uh, the premiere, which I don't know if, if TIFF did that or not. I can't even remember now. Did they have like Cameron Bailey pop up an intro and then have a filmmaker come on? Or was that like a separate thing? No, I, I think it was separate because they did a lot of like in conversations separately um i mean they did still have the pre-shows like the like the you know the advertisements which i like that when you've been going to tiff for so long like it's kind of as much as i don't like advertisements it was kind of just fun to have that at home and and sundance had i uh, by the end of it i i got that like stuck in my head because i like the graphics that they had on everything but yeah everything went super smooth i think the process of selecting your premieres and and having that three-hour window um was i think a really unique way because tiff did it sort of differently where it was just the press kind of thing where i i didn't even get press this year eric you had an industry badge and like for your industry thing they were press screenings but they weren't like they were just at like the 11 a.m you would choose which movies you wanted to watch you didn't necessarily select premieres like you did at sundance so i liked that aspect of it is that you could go to a premiere and everyone had would be able to see the movie at the same time if you started it right when you had access to it. So it still kind of had that, you know, feel of a festival where everyone's reactions were coming right. out at once and like everyone saw the movie at the same time. So um, I kind of liked that aspect of it. And I liked that and shout out to Sundance for just opening it up to more people rather than what TIFF did, which they they had a limited amount of press badges they could give out and i'm not saying i'm any of us are entitled to a press badge but i just liked that 
this festival, especially being Sundance, where it is a discovery festival, they gave a lot of access to people who wouldn't be able to have attended the festival in previous years. And and that gave you a lot of varied opinions. I mean, if you saw in the IndieWire survey uh, that Eric and I, I think, both voted in, there was like a record number of critics, like 380 something, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that voted in that, which I think is a a great thing to see, especially at a festival like Sundance, where these are movies that are either looking for distribution or from new filmmakers or just complete discovery, um, I think is fantastic to give more access to. So I think overall um, from the, like the setup of the festival, I think it was uh, really, really well done. Um, and Eric, I don't know if you echo those thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I only had one small snafu uh, to begin with, and that was because I was using Safari instead of Google Chrome. So, you know, pro tip for uh, film festival uh, viral or virtual screenings, always use Google Chrome instead of uh, Safari. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, like I, I, I agree with uh, everything that you were saying, Matt, in terms of just – and, and Daniel – terms of everything kind of running pretty smoothly and almost like second guessing yourself waiting for something to go wrong uh you know we there was really no technical uh difficulties other than you know with just kind of setting up our recording uh every now and then and that's about it yeah no i agree with you there that um it really didn't have any problems with anything. I had a few things where I started too early and realized I could, I, they expired and things like that, but I, I got that sorted out by the end of the festival. So, um, no complaints there. And then, um, how we felt about, you know, the festival overall from the quality of films, um, whether it's the 15 Daniel, you saw the 20, I saw the 25 Eric, you saw, I mean, I'll start it off where, um, I feel like it was a mixed bag and I didn't know what to expect going in um, because Sundance, again, you don't know a lot about the films other than if you know someone stars in it or that you recognize or things like that. Like I didn't know a lot about the movies going in and um, which I think is pretty normal for Sundance, but I, I can't tell you because this is our first one, whether the quality, I mean, there's a lot of Sundance movies we've seen from other years, but usually we see the stuff that does get picked up or, or to other festivals and things like that. So it's hard to compare, um, to previous festivals, but, um, I found it a mixed bag, which is pretty similar to my thoughts at TIFF usually every year or the New York film festival that I went to or, or, or things like that, where it's like, you usually have a handful of movies that you think are quite good. Another, big handful of movies that are fine and then a few that are bad um this year i found myself at least at sundance 2021 finding that i was throwing out three stars like it was my job like (laughs) every everything i saw i was like yeah that was that was pretty good but like i don't have strong feelings towards it or i just felt like it was like oh i i mildly enjoyed myself or i mildly didn't enjoy myself and it it fell in that you know lower three or higher three or if i didn't really care for it a two and a half and then there was only a few films that i was like i can't get into this at all um but if you look at the 20 i'm looking at my letterbox list right now it's usually like that top row of five i really really love the middle two rows i think are okay and then that bottom row from 16 to 20 i'm like i don't really care for it but even something like prisoners of the ghost land which um isn't super isn't a good movie but like i kind of still enjoyed watching you know nicholas cage or it was like 
just a nice nice palate cleanser from everything else even though it's rated 60 a testicle tickler if you yeah. will yeah. <laughs> so, so that's my thoughts like i i i did feel like there, i saw a lot of movies that were okay and then there was that handful of movies that, which we'll talk about um that we really really loved but um that's how i felt daniel how about you uh no, you know what I I'm gonna echo the same sentiments um and not to not just to agree with you but like I I really thought it was the same for me it really was a mixed bag of you know I think we started really hot like our first night um we got Coda and then we I watched um oh my goodness I'm like on the name now I watched uh, Summer of Soul which right. I thought which was a which was an awesome you know documentary as well too like it was started the night off really well and Sensor I watched at midnight that night too which um which I enjoyed. Um, it was great. And then I think we got, I got into the second day and I think the second day is which took a bit more of a toll on me with, uh, you know, I watched, uh, John in the hole, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, I, I liked, it's one of those things where I, I, I enjoyed the concept of it. Um, but it just felt that stretched over the length of the, the feature film. I'm like, this isn't doing it too much for me. Uh, land is another one too, with Robin Wright, you know, acting in it and directing in it. I think she, um, gives a great performance throughout the film. Um, but it was the same as you, Matt. It was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it was good. I don't have anything much more to to say on it. Um, and then we kind of got towards like the end of the festival. We got, you know, Edgar Wright's the Sparks Brothers and our hashtag J, which I really wanted to Sparks Brothers. I enjoyed. And I'll be honest, I, I I'm embarrassed in a minute. I never really heard of Sparks before. I think that's fair. I wasn't super, I knew of them, but wasn't super familiar, you know? So seeing the doc, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm like, and then you start to like, okay, maybe I have heard this song or maybe I do know these guys. Um, and then our hashtag J I think was, uh, it was another film that really interesting concept, not an original concept since we've seen, um, a lot of films, you know, let's tell our story through the perspective of technology. We've seen that. Um, but I think the, the blending of technology and, and Shakespeare, I think once we left the the kind of the confines of technology and we started just kind of going into let's tell a modern day Shakespeare story or Romeo and Juliet, it didn't work for me too much. But overall, the festival, I enjoyed it again. Like like you guys, this was my first time like actually at or virtually attending Sundance. So I was just happy to be there. So even though I was watching films that I traditionally maybe wouldn't have checked out, being able just to be part of it and be part of the conversation, I think, was my favorite part of it. Yeah. And Eric? Yeah. I mean, I have very similar thoughts to both of you where like I was very, you know, I I felt very lucky and fortunate to be, you know, attending digitally and, and to be reviewing films with you, Matt. And, um, you know, like Coda was a great way to kick things off in terms of, you know, being a very crowd pleasing, accessible movie that I, I mean, a lot of the conversation, narratively speaking, went to, you know, Apple spending $25 million dollars. Uh, on the film and, and sort of being like this kind of, you know, like that classic Sundance movie that, you know, sells for so much money, like the year before with Palm Springs or, uh, you know, when Searchlight kind of bought movies like, you know, Patty Cakes or Me and Earl and the Dying Girl or, you know, back in the day with Miramax buying, you know, Happy Texas. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't, but you always hear those stories of, okay, this is the new movie that kind of 
breaks the mold in terms of um, you know how much a, a studio will spend on something for distribution in in you know whether it be North America or international or both or um, so yeah it was it was it was fun kind of watching that movie and kind of being won over by it and and really kind of enjoying just you know this kind of feel good movie that is easily recommended to anybody that you know a, a critic could be basically be like okay well you know what I know like you maybe felt a little bit challenged by something like Sound of Metal, but here's Coda and Coda is one of those movies that will, you know, win over. And I mentioned this with the review. It's the most cynical of critics, the most cynical of people. It's just that kind of movie. Um, and then, yeah, also watching Flea, you know, very soon after that, I, I felt like the, the festival kind of peaked. Um, at at those two films in in a lot of ways. Not to say that, like you know, I, I really loved uh, the world to come, which takes this novelistic approach on a, a love story that is very much, you know, going to be compared to you know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire or Ammonite in terms of you know, lesbian love stories. But I think is a very powerful and understated film that's you know all about the details and obviously the highfalutin writing, which will probably annoy a lot of people. But I kind of was engaged by. Um, and then, you know, even films that I was kind of mixed positive on that I really liked, like Pleasure or, you know, In the Earth, I felt that those movies were interesting. And, and the Sparks Brothers doc was 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 a joy to watch because of Edgar Wright's enthusiasm in the film. You know, if you're not familiar with the, the Sparks Brothers, the movie never judges you for not being familiar. It says, hey, you know what? come on board now, you know, like we're, we're excited to have a new fan and, and that's the kind of movie that you love. And, and, and summer of soul is another really great documentary that kind of highlights you know, saw it. A, a key moment in time. and does so in a way that is fresh and innovative, but at the same time, you know, remembers this part of history in, in 69 and says like, okay, well, you know, it wasn't just Woodstock. There were other things happening. And this festival was very much, you know, in the shadow of Woodstock. And it's unfortunate because like, there's one moment early on in this movie where you, you, you see like Stevie Wonder playing the drums and it's just hypnotic to watch. Or the idea that like, you know, you're seeing the 50s transition into the 60s into the 70s with you know like motown music and you know straight lace kind of uh members of the bands wearing you know suits and ties and then sly and the family stone come up on stage and they're more kind of out there and radical with you know their their appearance and and the way that they play their music and that kind of is leading in to the next era of of music so like it is fascinating to watch this and and quest love i mean he you know, breathes this stuff and like knows music inside and out and musicology. And, and so watching this documentary, it has, it, it sort of elevates itself from the kind of the quote unquote, like stuffy kind of uh, archival documentary footage that we're, you know, used to, and, and it's very playful and fun. So there was a lot of really good stuff. It was just that there wasn't really a film this year that I would necessarily say like, was defined by the festival or the festival defined it. It just right. feels like for the most part, we got a lot of, you know, really solid films, even Coda. Like, I mean, yeah, Coda premiered at Sundance and was bought for a ridiculous amount of money, but you know, Coda could have played TIFF or, you know, South by Southwest even, or any other festival and just would have still been a really good crowd pleaser, no matter where it played, where this year it kind of felt like everything that played at the fest 
again, being, you know, a first timer at this festival could have played anywhere else. Like it didn't feel like, Oh, I saw this at Sundance, you know, like this is the movie that kind of, you know, made Sundance this year or I would argue that Coda will be that movie, but um, I see what you're saying. Um, Yeah. Cause, cause again, like I feel like that movie could have played anywhere and it still would have performed in a very similar manner. You know, like it would have won people over no matter where, but it's just so accessible. And it still could, right? Like depending on when Apple wants to release it, like I could still see it showing up at a lot of the places is that you're talking about yeah and then for the most part like a lot of the kind of like the mediocre to middle of the road movies were either fine or forgettable i mean a, a lot of people are talking about mass because the performances are so good but like the staginess of it um can be a little bit undermining at times, especially when the direction really emphasizes certain sort of blocking. Um, and then the only thing that I would say that was memorably awful, which for for me was like, I guess good in a kind of, you know, like ironic kind of sense that I, that I'm still thinking about it, even though it's, it's, it's a nightmare uh, is the blazing world, which to me, like I, I think Peter Kaplowski put it really well in his letterbox review is that it almost felt like he was watching a Neil Breen movie at Sundance. And it kind of has that flavor of, you know, Tommy Wiseau's The Room, you know, a singular vision, but everything that could go wrong with this kind of like almost Alice in Wonderland-esque ripoff um, does. But also at the same time, it's fascinating to watch that, that this movie got into a festival and not just any festival, Sundance. Like this is a film that I would not even play at Toronto After Dark. So, so <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's, hats it's off to Carson Young. So, you know. uh, I was gonna say it's interesting though, because like obviously, I think the biggest film of the festival, just in terms of eyes on it, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's interesting that that played Sundance. I feel like that Judas and the Black Messiah feels a lot more like a TIFF film, a film that we would have oh, seen totally, at, the, at the Toronto yeah. International Film Festival. Um, and it, like it was part of Sundance, but because it was also like the last day or one of the last days, it really and and we know it's getting a, a big theatrical release where theaters are open. It's HBO Max and all that. Like it's just interesting that it was chosen to play at Sundance. I, I, like I'm not complaining because we got to watch it, which I was really happy about. Um, but it's just interesting that it was technically a Sundance film too this year from that little indie studio Warner brothers. You know? um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that happens once in a while. Usually like technically, I guess you could almost consider that a secret screening without it being a secret screening, right, which is right. like something that Sundance sometimes does where they take a studio movie or, or something like that. And just they, I get the reasoning behind it of doing like a big profile with big actors, like high profile movie that like will get some attention on it. Not saying that these other movies wouldn't, but like, yeah, I, I'm with you, Dan, where it's just like, it doesn't feel like a Sundance movie, but we it, it's that's number two on my list of uh, of stuff I saw because I think the movie is really really excellent and um, uh, yeah I mean I I don't mind Sundance doing stuff like that I don't think it takes away I don't know what your guys thoughts are on that and Eric maybe jump in but like if it takes away some of the attention from some of the smaller stuff when you put in a a studio movie like that into Sundance like do you guys think there is a place for that or do you think that this should be, you know, for the indies? I think there is a place for it. I mean, like, uh, partly there, there's a couple of reasons why Judas and the Black Messiah played is because this is a late awards release. So this is kind of their Especially platform. this season, right? Yeah, exactly. So this is their platform to kind of make that uh, a viable option for them to promote it 
you know, for awards consideration. And then also because it is streaming on or will be streaming on HBO Max in the US and will be available to rent in, you know, places like Canada for for $30, it I think it opened that opportunity. And I think it would have played TIFF if that decision was made earlier. But also you have to think about like if the pandemic didn't happen, this was a movie that was going to actually be released at the end of August and right. the studio didn't have as much hope for it then. And this is also when it was still on the title that um, its original title, uh, Jesus is my homeboy. So like th- there was a lot, there was a lot of factors that kind of changed, you know, this movie's trajectory over a year. And, and so it is fascinating to see a film that really isn't quote unquote, a Sundance movie per se, because, you know, it has a budget, big movie stars, a major studio behind it, but at its essence, what it's doing is subverting your expectations of what a biopic is and what a crime drama is. And for for that reason alone, I think that it has that quote unquote indie spirit to it. Um, And and it doesn't feel like it's been tampered with by a studio because it almost feels like Warner brothers when this movie was being made or like, okay, you know what, Ryan Coogler, you, you know, you can produce this thing and whatever have you. And we'll release this in a year when we have all these other movies to go for. And, you know, since things have changed, it's almost like, okay, what do we have that we can, you know, release now that might be an awards film that we weren't giving that much attention to. And it's like, oh, we have this Fred Hampton quote unquote biopic. And that's what they're doing now. They're putting, you know, their eggs into this basket because, you know, the other movies that they have, The Way Back and Wonder Woman 1984 haven't performed as well as that they were hoping. And they were also thinking, okay, well, this year we'll have all this other stuff but that's all been delayed because everything, you know, that was supposed to be playing theatrically was supposed to play then. And now they've made that decision ultimately that their 2029 or their 2020 slate is going to be, you know, day and date. So things have changed quite a bit since then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I I understand it. And again, I'm glad that we got to watch it and it's a, it's a solid, solid movie. Um, so yeah, I guess now, um, I don't know if you guys want to give your, you know, top five of the festival and maybe some honorable mentions or something like that. Um, uh, Daniel, I don't know if I prepped you for that. If you even have <laughs> no, them, no, that's good. If I even have them ranked or anything, but, um, I'll kick it off. Yeah. I think the, the festival I'll go five to one. Um, at number five, I have uh, Street Gang, which is the Sesame Street documentary that's going to be premiering on HBO. Um, a fairly st- like conventional and standard, you know, talking heads style documentary that doesn't really go super deep into ses- the making of Sesame Street. But I just felt it was like kind of a nice again, going back to, you'll see my number one and number five movies are just really feel good movies. And, and just the nostalgia that kind of blanketed over me watching street gang and just from the origins of Sesame street and seeing how, you know, important that television show is and, and continues to be, I thought it was just kind of a, you know, a wonderful way to spend a couple hours and, um, and, and just a reminder of how special Sesame street really is. So like really, really d- dug Sesame street or uh, street gang. Sorry. Uh, at number four, I got pleasure, which just got picked up by a 24, which is awesome. I think that's a good home for it. Um, and MK got- films in uh, Canada. Oh, that. is that? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you for the context, Eric. Um, but a 24 in the U S at least, um, which I think is the, perfect home for it i'll be very curious to see 
if they have to edit anything to get an R rating um, or what route they're going to take with it. But um, really, really uh, dug pleasure. Uh, number three um, is Violation, which, um, again, Eric and I saw at TIFF in the Midnight Madness program uh, at the festival. But it, uh, you know, s- stood the test of time of a few months. And um, and I still think it's uh, an excellent, excellent movie. And compared to a lot of the stuff I saw, it, I, I still think it's one of the best things of Sundance. Um, and just uh, you guys can check out a review back from TIFF. You'll have to kind of go back on the feed a little bit. But um, just an, a very intense movie. But uh, it's such as pleasure as well. But I think both of those movies very important and you guys should watch them. Uh, Judas and the black Messiah. Number two, um, again, we talked about it at length in our review, but I just think it's an excellent way of, you know, combining the biopic with a crime thriller, uh, which Eric and I talked about a lot, just thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining while still covering, I think a very important, uh, period of time and a very important group of people. And, and I just, but I think that's the best way to do a biopic is focus on a, a an event and make it, you know, accessible to people by making it super, super entertaining while still teaching them something important, which is why I love Judas and the music cinematography. It's all the performances by Licky Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are, are phenomenal. Uh, and then Coda, we've talked about it, you know, Eric, talked about it daniel talked about it the festival peaked with the very first film that i saw and then nothing really hit that level and that's not a knock on any of these other movies it's just that's how much i enjoyed coda and the more i thought about it and yeah again it's pretty conventional um and it's storytelling and it's uh you know it's just story in general but um it's inclusivity of, of featuring the the deaf community and this deaf family i think um is such an important thing and then the movie is just so so thoroughly enjoyable from everything from the music um to the performances and just it is i said like a warm hug i keep saying like it was just that i was at a really shitty point of like just leaving my job and then starting sundance right away and it was just a very overwhelming day and then to start with coda and just be this such a delightful movie that i would you know yell from the rooftops that anyone should watch and i'm so glad that everyone will have an opportunity on apple tv plus um to see it because this is a movie i would suggest to literally anyone and i just think it is such a wonderful you know hour and a half i think it was um and just i really really loved it and nothing quite came to that same you know i i trust my emotions when i'm watching a movie and it was the only movie to give me like a visceral kind of reaction and nothing quite hit that level for the rest of the festival so coda was my uh, was my favorite film of the fest um daniel we'll go to you next and you'll be sandwiched by eric afterwards Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, you know, my my list is is a little similar to yours, but um, I did want to put you know Summer of Soul in my in my five spot just because I, I absolutely um, just just seeing this footage, just archival footage of this uh, of this event that like I don't think a lot of people know about, but when you when you hear the reasoning why um, this festival took place, I think there's so much to unpack from here. And, and you, and Eric spoke so eloquently about it earlier in the episode, but, um, I'm so glad that, uh, this, it, this is also, this is going to be released by Lionsgate, uh, sorry, not Lionsgate, um, 
searchlights searchlights and, and we're going to get it here on star um which i'm so happy about did they confirm that they did yeah so i i just i was just checking my emails to confirm that that was there that is it is coming on star oh see that's that's awesome because that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier if that hulu stuff is going to be crossing over here in canada on star that's awesome to hear yeah so i, I was really happy to see that it's getting released here because i thought you read know, your emails people yeah <laughs> I, I don't I, Quest- I should be better at it <laughs> uh, Questlove did such a great job with this and it makes me uh it makes me excited to hopefully see more um maybe more of you know of him directing uh something either like a documentary or just something cuz i think there's so many um areas especially in that time of music music in the 60s and 70s that um really are like anthems for like change in that time with counterculture and everything like that and i think this um somersault does such a great job of that um at number four i have sensor i really dug sensor this is a film by uh prino bailey bond and it's like it's a horror film but it's also like the psychological like thriller uh it's about like a film censor who really has to watch the most like gratuitous of films but the video nasties of the 19th. yeah the video nasties exactly um and kind of basically approve them or not and you know when a film is kind of named as something that inspired like a murder that happens it kind of inter intertwines with her own life and how she stays sees things and um a lot throughout the film are you wondering is this just her in her mind or is this happening there's some and i think just the cinematography throughout um is really cool there's some shots that i'm still thinking about um that were in that film uh three street gang um matt you already spoke in length about it which i thought was dope it makes me want to have like a docu series about Sesame Street because I think when I when I think back to last year earlier in the pandemic with um, the Michael Jordan the Last Dance where it just kind of focused on so many different aspects like when when that documentary started I was like how are you going to have six episodes about Michael Jordan and then when it kind of got into all the different aspects of him and the marketing deals and the different players on the team there's so much there and I think you could you could. I hope it inspires a, a another series or another documentary where they could really dive deep into other aspects of the show because the show obviously has fifty years on television. There's a lot you could pull from. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, number Oscar two definitely takes things personally. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, same as you, Matt. I got Judas and the Black Messiah. I think um, what that film does so well is, like you said, it's 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 a biopic, but it's also within a, a certain event it's within a certain time so i think there's so much more urgency in something like that where you could instead of trying to see somebody from the you know the, the beginning of their life to the end you get to really see them at their peak and when that's i think they're defining moments and i think this film does such a great job of that and shaka king does a great job directing this and again number one for me is coda i think coda was just at that peak for the festival it was that film everybody was talking about and was so happy with and watching and it was so funny, but also so heartbreaking at the same time too. So I think um, Kodo is going to be a, a great one, and, and I hopefully Apple releases it soon so more people can watch it. Yeah, I'm with you, Eric. You're five. Yeah, I just want to quickly say, like, I was I was really fascinated, Daniel, by you putting uh, Sensor on there because I, it it was a movie that it played the first 
night the first midnight film and like a lot of people kind of were mixed to sort of lukewarm on it overall and a lot of people also compared it to you know the the obvious choice being peter strickland's you know barbarian sound studio and And daniel if you haven't uh, seen that you should watch it because it's barbarian sound studio is ridiculous but oh yeah yeah i'm gonna add it to the list it's a lot of fun and and it, it has a similar kind of sort of atmospheric vibe to it but what i liked about the movie as well um is the time period it's depicting and and sort of having recently watched uh rewatched John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness which is a movie that kind of takes a character that is kind of on the outside of something and doesn't really have any um care or regard for what they're you know what they're really analyzing or doing other than right. you know they're doing it because they feel, you know, either A, they're superior to it or that's their job, or B, they they feel like they're doing something for, you know, the community. And then slowly but surely it becomes this weird, like kind of meta thing where, you know, everything that is real or, you know, fake kind of blurs those lines of reality uh, in a fascinating way. And again, like just dealing with the video nasties of the 1980s is a, is a really, really interesting thing because, you know, like I remember as a kid, even, you know, going into, you know, video stores like Blockbusters and Rogers, there was like a section where it's like, you know, faces of death uh, would be available to rent, but it, it was almost like you were walking into like an adult section in a right. you know, video store. Um, but now they're, they, they're, they kind of play all the time on like, like trauma movies, especially like on shutter where like there's even, a, a small sort of snippet from blood sucking freaks in the opening montage of of censor so there's there's stuff in there that i think is very um interesting and, and and atmospheric but it was just nice to see like you know someone kind of really really love it the way that you did yeah and it's funny you mentioned trauma too because like i like we were talking about the mcu earlier and like you know james gunn got his start working on trauma films with like lloyd kaufman and everything so it's just it's interesting how like you go from kind of working in that realm, but you also see kind of like that body, um, that body gore and everything in w- within James Gunn's work too, a little bit on the Guardians films and um, kind of see that kind of play out a little bit more in Brightburn, which he wrote, which didn't love. But uh, yeah, Sensor, Sensor, I thought it was really cool. I thought like just that the atmospheric, uh, it felt very atmospheric and just, I, I dug what it was doing. It wasn't, it wasn't something that blew me away, but I think there was enough there that I, I was just interested and in especially watching it at midnight i think it, it adds that extra layer to like i'm tired like and i, I don't know if this movie is messy with my mind so like Fair. there's also <laughs> like that that meta nature to it as well too which was which was a fun watch yeah and i think also censor and pleasure are, are interesting just in the point of view of, of the perspective of being directed by women and sort of looking at it from you know these kind of movies or you know adult films depict women and degrade women in such a way. So you're getting the female point of view, you know, directing wise uh, on these stories, which I think is also really fascinating to watch Um, in in terms of uh, my uh, top five. I'll just quickly give a shout out for uh, honorable mentions. Uh, Summer of soul and pleasure would be six and seven on my list. Uh, Number five coda. We've talked a lot about it already. Violation at number four, uh, number three, uh, The World to Come, which I uh, really, really liked. And I'm, I'm still thinking about little details of that movie. It's I also wish I saw to, it too, man. It's going to be divisive, but it's yeah. It's going to be available soon. Um, I think it's coming out here uh, the first week of March through Got Level you. Film. Yeah, um, Anthony watched it. Anthony on our show, he ended up watching. He he really loved it too. Um, yeah. So it's he- so detailed and nuanced, and it's about you know just – 
existing and not being erased by time and and having something that you know you can go back to and realize that you were there and that you were a part of it and that you weren't just you know to serve someone else um which i really really loved and the score is amazing in the film and i actually think that like a lot of people are saying vanessa curry's role is underwritten in that film but i kind of really like her as a cipher in the same way that ruth nega was a cipher in um uh, passing like it it, it it that character works so well and she brings so much to uh that role in the world to come with with vanessa kirby and, and i almost think that she should be getting the award nomination she's getting for uh a piece of a woman for for uh the world to come uh number two judas and the black messiah and number one uh flea i i think flea was my favorite film of the festival that's cool yeah I, i'll give a, a shout out to sparks brothers um together together uh, on the count of three, Jockey and Flea, those are like five movies that um, I, I enjoyed quite a bit, but to varying degrees. And they never quite, they all have certain issues here and there that never quite got them over that hump for me. But comparatively to the rest of the festival, um, still enjoyed my experience with them. Together, together being one that we didn't review, Eric, but. Um, I just kind of, it was, it's very low key. Like I just liked the platonic relationship in, in that movie. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, it stars Ed Helms. He's, um, uh, uh, he's wants to be a father, but he's a single guy in his forties. So he, um, gets a surrogate for his child and it's about his relationship, um, with the surrogate mother, um, uh, and just kind of how controlling he wants to be but then also just how she wants nothing to do with him um and just wants it to be kind of you know uh, i'm doing this for the money please like i don't want to have any attachment to you or this kid kind of thing and how their relationship kind of develops throughout uh throughout the film and i kind of just liked that you know vibe it was again low-key just them kind of getting to know each other and how their relationship progresses but just focusing on a male female relationship that's completely platonic and i just yeah. thought that was kind of uh, did you see it, Daniel? Or no? I did. Yeah, I know. I enjoyed it. I think Ed Helms and uh, Patty Harrison. Yes, um, Patty Harrison. Yeah, were uh, were really great together too. So yeah, it's same as you. It just it just felt like um, I just really enjoyed the journey. That was just a film that uh, I feel like if I ever just saw it on TV, I would just kind of just sit there and watch it because yeah, it was exactly. I was like I'm like I was just like oh this is just it's engaging enough to 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 keep my interests. Yes, doesn't do anything spectacular, and it's uh, but like it's still just thoroughly like an easy watch, and that's kind of why I dug it. I think it's probably the best I've seen Ed Helms in a while. Like it, it's kind of Ed Helms subdued, um, and I, I I don't always love Ed Helms, but I felt like he worked well in this kind of like you know what like I, I'm I'm getting to that point where I'm not with anyone, and I, I do want a kid, so he goes on this journey to to you know have a be a single dad and i just think it's kind of i don't know like i liked seeing him throughout this movie and i'm not always a huge ed helms fan but um i i dug it and then with the other stuff sparks brothers we reviewed it i just felt like it was a little too long but still loved edgar wright's energy throughout that movie on the count of three um you know uh christopher abbott uh, i think he's king of the indies and he gives a great 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 performance there's some slight issues which we talk about in our uh review but still kind of liked the darkly comedic kind of vibe to the whole thing and i think it has you know more more pros than cons but never quite gets over that hump like i'm saying jockey if you want to watch you know a, a, a movie that's basically the wrestler but about a jockey um 
I don't have any, again, you can listen to all our reviews and then flee Eric. I'm glad it's your favorite film of the festival. Um, uh, it was the last review we did. Um, I still enjoyed it. Um, but I was mostly like in the, just kind of like, Oh, I liked it, but I didn't, you know, love it, but I'm glad that, you know, it, it hit with you. Um, Daniel, do you have any other shout outs you want to give? Uh, yeah. I mean, we spoke about Sparks brothers. I, I echo your sentiment about it being a little long. I think, um, yeah, it was over two, it was like two hours and 20 minutes almost. So I was like, man, I think if this was shaved down a little bit more, it would have felt a bit more accessible. But I also think with Edgar Wright being the big fan as he is, I think it may have been hard for him to cut things out as well too. So I, yeah. I kind of feel like uh, that was probably a, a big reason why it had the length that it did. Um, other than that, you know, Flea was another one I had on my list that I, I wanted to see. I'm a big Rizamid fan and um, I wanted to check out check out the documentary itself because it's an animated documentary, correct? Yeah, and we sh- I, sh- I should mention this. We, we talked about this on uh, the review. Um, the version that Matt and I saw is the uh, English subtitled version. The They're going to be releasing a dubbed version with Riz Ahmed uh, theatrically oh, uh, later okay. this year. Neon picked it up in the right. US. So um, there will be both versions available, um, whether or not they're both screening, you know, consecutively or not, like, you know, like TIFF some sometimes would play a lot of the studio Ghibli stuff where it's like, you know, one screening would be uh, the English dub, or you could watch the subtitled one an hour later. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they market that film. Yeah. I think that's what they'll end up doing. They'll give you the option, but, um, and then, uh, Sorry, Daniel, anything else that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, I mean, just shout out to um, Nicholas Cage's exploding testicle in right, yeah. Prisoners of the Ghost Land, <laughs> but that's about it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I feel you. And then the movies that I saw, Eric, that you didn't see um, was basically just, I saw Jonathan's Hole, right? And then... Um, yeah, Daniel saw that too. Daniel oh, yeah, saw John, that as well. John yeah. in the Hole. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm just being an idiot. It's I didn't hate it. Um, I think st- I I vibed with it for a while because it did a lot of things that you know I I, I love. You know, I, it's getting more and more prevalent lately as a stylistic choice. But the four by three boxed in kind of cinematography, right? And, right. Um, I like the synthy score. I liked the eerie vibe to it all. Um, it's just maybe a little too bit slow moving and um uh for most people and i feel like it it, again it starts kind of strong because i I was very intrigued at the beginning of of how this was going to play out but i I love that drone shot that that yeah that opened and and then cuts to it crashing yeah i love that too where it it feels like a traditional kind of you know drone shot but then it's part of the actual movie and and the kids flying the drone i thought that was actually really cool but um yeah, I just feel like it, it didn't quite stick the landing. Like it, I didn't know where to go with the story, and I feel like it is dark. But they could have gone further with it. And I just, I, I like, you know, I love that they had the balls to drop the title card thirty-five minutes into the movie, <laughs> um, and uh, that I appreciate. But um, I don't know. I just feel like it could have went further, and I didn't hate my time with it because i do like you know synthy score four by three like it's heavily stylized it's got it's creepy it's like i don't know i i don't know there's a lot there that i i think i should have loved but it didn't quite work fully for me but that being said like i didn't i didn't mind it um and then um i everything else i think we watched together eric i think those were the only two um, that I saw that you didn't correct. 
I believe. Yes. Yep. And then Daniel, was there anything you saw that we didn't see? Do you know, like uh, you might not know everything that we saw. But... Uh, let me take a look and see here. Did you guys get a chance to check out? Duh, 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 duh. Did you? You guys saw? I'm assuming you guys saw our hashtag J or yeah. Um, we feel pretty much. We feel the same as you for the most part. Like I feel like it kind of had me for the first 20 minutes or so. Right, where I'm like, right. oh, this is kind of interesting. I can, I can, I can fuck with this, and then it kind of. Like those last three acts just feel so rushed and right. just um it just kind of pitters out by the end and um it didn't quite work for either of us, I don't think. And I then saw, the ending itself. Okay. Is, oh, the yeah. ending yeah. is bad, yeah. Yeah, the let's 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 change up the ending, you know. Um it's uh I saw knocking. Did you guys check out knocking? Oh yeah, I saw knocking. Ooh, I yeah. did not see knocking. What what do you think yeah. of knocking, Eric? I was disappointed with that one. I, it felt to me like, again, I'm I'm not against sort of like a high concept horror single location that is kind of, you know, basically doing like a rear window kind of style horror that is utilizing the technology that they have because part of the, the charm of this film is that, um, you know, cinematography wise, they were using a lot of lighting and lighting equipment that was, you know, given to them in during the production and pre-production. Um, but I felt that the twist or the story was very conventional to the point where like, it's easy to predict what's going on in terms of like yeah, a gaslighting sure. story. And like some of the, the, the choices directing wise, like the kind of steady cam on the actor, I just, that stuff kind of annoys me because it's so dated and like, obviously like it's, you know, got a little bit of a, a reputation after Requiem for a dream, but then when it's used in, you know, the hangover referencing at Helms again, um, it just kind of overstays its welcome and feels like, you know, a piece of style that's just so dated um, and you get why they're using it. But at the same time, it just kind of adds to the reasons why, I wasn't really a big fan of it. And, and again, like I kind of felt like ultimately where the story goes, it's just so predictable. Um, it, again, visually speaking, it was, it was nice to look at in terms of what they were trying to do. Um, it just didn't really engage me all that much. Yeah. I'm the same way. It wasn't one that I really thought about much afterwards. I think, I mean, stylistically, yeah, there's some, there's some cool moments throughout the film and some, um, some nice, uh, shots i think just like you mentioned the lighting i think this film has a very distinct look but yeah i think it just i was just i hate using the word bored but it just i was just sitting there watching it and i was like man like it just it just doesn't feel like anything's really happening right now or nothing that we haven't really seen before um the other one that i watched i i i think you guys checked out as well too was how it ends Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Which we were not. It's I think one of the half baked high concept comedy. Yeah, yeah. It was like I didn't, L.A. the movie, you know. Yeah, it didn't quite work for us. I um, I think it was one of the weaker things that I saw. It just to me, I said it was like an improv, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, fest throughout L.A. Like a who's free a during crawl. the pandemic and wants to make a movie? Yeah, yeah that's it. Just I don't know. And, and and that's the thing, you know, I think it's one of those things that the concept itself, I'm like, okay, um, you, everybody's heightened senses are heightened that day. You could, they could see their younger selves, but it's like, I think it would have worked maybe better as a short film or maybe it started that way because when you, when you kind of introduce, I guess, those rules, that reality in your worlds, whenever it kind of breaks that you start to question the, rea the reality of the world. Right. Yeah. And like, I'm like, oh, well nobody else could see their, 
younger self or you don't see it but she can i'm like okay cool we'll go on this adventure some with her. people can some people can't yeah you know like you go on the adventure with her and um you a lot of cameos i i love always sunny but seeing you know glenn howerton and charlie day and and then i'm just like okay it just felt feels very random and just just like yeah who's available right now let's let's shoot exactly um and like i'll be honest like there's that scene because basically i guess like a meteor is coming to hit the earth um when we kind of just see her kind of look up at it and put on the 3d glasses i just kind of like rolled my eyes so hard i'm like why like you don't need to you don't need to do that like (laughs) it's just such a it's just such like a something like eric you mentioned like that like oh it's like straight out of film school let's do something just so weird and she puts on 3d glasses i'm like okay this is just weird now you know just very very didn't work strange i agree with you uh eric there were a couple things that you saw that i didn't see anyone i want to rapid fire your opinions off or yeah i'll mention uh i saw uh theo anthony's all light everywhere which is a film about partly about uh sort of the progression of the camera and sort of the human eye and how we see the moving image and then another part of it is how you know in how it's been used in modern day specifically uh, for police body cams. And there's this whole section of the film that kind of deals with the idea of like consent and whether or not, you know, people should be filmed and um, you know, how body cams are used in in terms of um, gathering information and how the police use it. And specifically in Baltimore Um, it's, it's a fascinating piece of filmmaking, but it's also very austere and cold and, um, at times feels a little bit um, too kind of calculated, almost like it's like this industry video, which part of it is. And it's kind of almost making fun of that a little bit, which I kind of like in its cynical attitude, but it's also extremely dry. And once you get to the Baltimore stuff, that's where it actually gets emotional and you kind of feel like, okay, like I get where this filmmaker was kind of, you know, progressing with this and where we're leading to, but it does feel a little bit too much like a history lesson for the first little bit of it with these interspersed scenes of like, you know, when the moving camera was created, like when was the first scene sort of drawn out and it has this kind of cerebral quality to it that I think doesn't mesh as well with a lot of the kind of the modern stuff in terms of like what it's politically saying right now that's going on, especially in the U S and sort of in inner cities and places like Baltimore. Um, but it's still a really fascinating piece of filmmaking. And I think it's, it's definitely worth checking out. And I think there's something to be said there. I just wish that it didn't necessarily feel like a thesis film uh, for right. half of it, but um, again, really interesting. And then um, homeroom I watched as well, uh, which is another movie where like, again, part of it is interrupted by the pandemic and it's about a group of, you know, high school seniors kind of um, in their last year in uh, Oakland and, dealing with the fact of uh you know whether or not the student body can help govern to make these decisions that can change um schooling so they look at security and having police uh police in the school and wanting them to be removed and how to begin with um that's looked at as kind of a, a negative and you know that there needs to be police within a high school setting especially in oakland and then how that changes with you know black lives matter and also you know the the murder of george floyd so like how time kind of changes people's opinions on certain things and how uh you know 
government and and school structures and institutions kind of play out in real time and then in the last act of the movie it kind of becomes this again like this kind of like okay the seniors are now having to adapt you know in their final months of school online because they can't you know be there in person because of covid and sort of there's this interesting naivete you know when when they're starting to hear about it back in january and it's like oh you, you know like people that are susceptible to COVID are only old people and, and really young and people with autoimmune disorders. And it's like, it's like how naive the world was at that point. And like, yeah, just the misinformation of what COVID was. And then going from January into, you know, like April and May and seeing how drastically different things are um, was fascinating, but also kind of, again, like, because we've been living in it, it almost felt like I don't need this history lesson. Like this is a great document for maybe like 10, 15, 20 years from now when people, you know, younger generations might need to be reminded of it, but just watching it play out, it was like, okay, like I, I, I get that part. Like I was more interested in sort of, you know, the dismantling of, you know, police within schools than I was sort of like this, you know, weird kind of like footnote in, in sort of how COVID affected this you know class of of kids yeah cool yeah well that's it everybody i think that is a wrap on the 2021 sundance film festival i think uh a wonderful experience overall um uh whatever you want to say about the movies um i just think it was i'm very grateful we were able to cover this festival i think moving forward i i mean after doing tiff this way and sundance i think nothing quite beats you know the in-person festival experience but that being said, I hope they do continue to do maybe a hybrid version of these festivals where whether it's just on the press side or maybe press and public side of things where they, you know, most of it is in person when we're able to do it. But, you know, give people a shot that are outside of those cities and can't travel to Utah or can't travel to Toronto and like uh, give them an opportunity. Maybe it's just a special selection of films that are available digitally that people can see or on the press side of things, not getting too inside baseball, but like not even for our own benefit, but just for the benefit of many across the globe. Like I hope that they figure out a way that, you know, if you can't, attend in person maybe there is a press side of things where you can cover these from home if you can't travel and that that will change film festivals and how they're covered and i feel like that is important and that could be a cool thing like if i could afford to go to utah every year yes i would love to go to sundance every year in person um but unfortunately when you yeah unfortunately if you're not hired by an outlet to go do that um not every you know everyone can do that. So, and other people who might not be able to physically, you know, actually go there and people, you know, again, going to the the cost of everything. Like I, I do hope that they continue to do this digital version, um, in the future. But that being said, obviously I still want that physical presence. Like I think there's nothing quite like it and that festivals, I hope we're able to get back to them at that. They're able to go on as normal, but I hope the silver lining of this whole pandemic and the way that these festivals have had to pivot is that they can learn from it and what the pros and cons were from these digital festivals and integrate some of that into their regular festival moving forward. Will we get that? I have no idea. I honestly do think we will. 
Um, but it really depends on studios and how cinema's reopening and how festivals get back up and running. So everything's going to be changing, but, um, much like how the cinema, just the public cinema industry is changing. I think the festival kind of industry will have to change and adapt to this new, you know, way of doing things that I think will be a hybrid of digital versus in person. So I don't know your final thoughts on the festival guys, if you agree with that or Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we saw both TIFF and Sundance put on digital festivals this year, and we know it's possible. They're more than capable of doing it. Um, but just like studios, being able to drop movies on streaming or on PVOD, it's going to be up to them if they want to go back to that or go back to how things were before. I'm sure they'd rather go back to how things were before, but now that we, we've kind of opened Pandora's box at this point, um, it's whether or not they want to continue doing this way or doing i would love to see hybrid model too because i'd love to attend sundance in some capacity every year or south by southwest whatever whatever the festival is um but whether they want to it's going to be up to them but i think it i think it only benefits them because seeing um the conversation this year on social media um maybe it could just be the echo chamber of my twitter feed or instagram feed with the different um film people that i follow but it felt like sundance was a lot more prevalent this year and I think that's only better for them. So I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that goes forward um, in years to come. Eric, yeah, I mean, I I feel similar to both of you guys, where I hope that there is a, a hybrid aspect, you know, for future festivals. I mean, it it doesn't beat you know being in a theater with other people and having that you know communal experience and and you know walking out of a movie and feeling like okay we just saw something really you know interesting or exciting and again that kind of defines the festival as a whole but i'm also really up for you know having the opportunity to digitally kind of chime in and 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 have that kind of conversation online after watching a movie um and and having you know the opportunity to do do stuff like this and 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 again like you know watching a lot of films over the course of you know a week or or so and and you know picking and choosing but also knowing that a lot more people are going to have that opportunity to bring their own perspective right i think is is worthwhile i also have this other side of me that's thinking like this could just end up being like uh you know the end of burn after reading where jk simmons is basically closing the book it's like what the fuck did we even you know <laughs> what did we learn <laughs> you yeah know? And that could be the same thing as well where it's yeah. like as soon as the pandemic you know things go back to normal or whatever the new normal will be like i can almost feel like okay let's go back to you know our traditional style because you know, part of what TIFF was talking about in, in terms of their selection process last year, and I'm sure Sundance had similar obstacles as well, is that the studios and, you know, agencies that have, you know, the rights holders, yeah, right holders are, are still a little bit cagey when it comes to not Nicholas cagey, but cagey <laughs> when it comes to, you know, what films they will submit because they're afraid of piracy and, of course, you know, online. So, you know, we're not going to get like necessarily uh, big studio movies playing at like say TIFF or kind of, um, you know, films that have, you know, tons of movie stars in Sundance films per se until, you know, things go back to normal. But it does give an opportunity for films that might have been rejected or passed on to have the spotlight shine on in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. 
Yeah. Uh, shout out oh. to the uh, watermark too for us <laughs> this year. Oh God, uh, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was just so it was so so tiny. You know, it was just it was yeah. just perfect. Um, and in the court, not, you know, not to be like elitist assholes. Yeah, a little like, inside we, baseball of us. Yeah, it's just I I loved the watermark. That's what everyone everyone should see whatever program that they used for this and go. Okay, that's what we need to do because it would pop up every you know five ten minutes or whatever it is or maybe more. But like it was very small and it would go either you know middle right or middle left and i again they put it in an area that you can't crop out so i totally understand that um and i i just i wish every watermark was as <laughs> nice as this because some of them jesus yeah. christ um are awful the sundance Ash, so an, another email that i just checked out that i was like i know they sent us an email about the audience it was 2.7 times bigger than last year for sundance which that's is awesome. which is interesting I, I so. think that's really cool and i think they'll they'll see that and they and even from a money perspective i feel like these festivals you know they just knowing you know the ins and outs of tiff and and things like that like if they know they can make more money by opening it up to more people digitally and the studios like to eric's point will eventually get on board and i think the more we move to this day and date digital theatrical you know way i think festivals are obviously very different because a lot of the times you're seeing these movies you know months and months before they come out so that's the risky part but hopefully the piracy side of things and i know tiff and sundance i think use the same platform and i i mean i'm not you know i'm not in college anymore so i don't know what has leaked to torrent sites and things like that but um if anything has but um it'll be curious to see you know how this all kind of plays out from a piracy piracy perspective and i think that will kind of dictate you know how things move forward so uh i'm intrigued but um you know the untitled movie podcast and the movie podcast will return at south by southwest this year which is our next festival that both of us are covering um so i'm very excited for that it'll be obviously very different because south by southwest being much more than just movies um and they are also doing a digital festival this year um they are announcing their films i think in a couple days on the 11th so we just missed that so um we'll cover that on Yes, Matt. Come on. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, it is what it is. We're talking about Sundance, so we already kind of dated it. Um, so we'll be talking on the next episode what we'll be covering. You know, at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival. But very excited for that. I've always wanted to go to South by Southwest. Obviously, we're not going, but I'm very curious to see what movies pop up there being at the you know middle of march so um thank you both uh daniel thank you so much i'm so happy you were able to do this with us um i we've wanted to kind of collaborate with you for a while so i hope this is the first of many times we'll be collaborating yeah thank you guys so much and hopefully next time we'll have a shabazz and anthony available as well too so we could just have a giant motley crew talking about uh movies together yeah, that's the the next thing is get both crews together and do a big crossover episode, and I think that like that'll be a lot of fun, Rumble, right? Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. You thought Avengers like, Endgame was the most ambitious crossover? <laughs> we'll just get every critic from the Toronto area and just have everyone come in in two minute intervals, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that'll be great. Uh, Daniel, you plug all your stuff before we go. 
Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and, and Instagram at DBAPS. Um, and also, of course, please check out the movie podcast every single Monday across all podcast services. We have a brand new episode. We also have movie reviews going up on the feed as well as interviews with different uh, people from around the film industry. Um, at the movie podcast is the best place to search for us on Instagram and Twitter. That, that's our, our tag there. And uh, you could find all our episodes, uh, themoviepodcast.ca. So you could check us out there. Incredible. And as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I didn't plug any of our own shit, so you should go follow us, untitled underscore cast, on all those social medias. Uh, Follow or subscribe to our other two shows, Untitled Movie Reviews, where you can get all of our Sundance coverage and Untitled Movie Conversations, which is our interview show on all podcast services. Uh, If you guys could drop us a review on on the trilogy of podcasts uh if you would be so kind that would really really help us out uh and i already plugged my own shit so eric go ahead well you should also mention again uh the geek centric podcast which i think yeah people check out yeah nate's yes, a good guy uh, yeah nate is a great dude um when so you guys can search for geek centric on all your podcast services um uh, it's the WandaVision episode five um, uh, after show kind of thing that they're doing. I don't know. I forget the exact name. I'm a horrible at this stuff, uh, but search geek centric. It's WandaVision. You'll see that I was on the newest episode of that. Uh, we talked for like an hour and 15 minutes about episode five of WandaVision and it was a blast. And I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. Uh, the latest episode, which will be airing in, on Saturday, uh, also features Matt Rohrbeck. No! Uh, as we also talk about Sundance movies and a little bit of WandaVision. And it also has my interview with Viggo Mortensen for Falling, which was a Sundance film last year. Uh, so it all ties in nicely together. And I'm also on the social medias at EM6211. And until next time, I'm going to give this three stars. 